It's good to see all of you. It's great to be back. Uh, it's been a while since I've been up here, but in case you're, you've been wondering where I've been, I haven't been anywhere. I've uh, been here most weekends, but just trying to lay low this summer, trying to uh, get my batteries recharged. And I know for some of you, maybe you're watching online or you're here for the first time, you're, or maybe you've been here just about a month, you're probably wondering who's that old guy up there because you just started attending in the last month and you hadn't heard me speak yet. So this old guy is the senior pastor, not the senior's pastor, but the senior, I, that, would, that would work as well because I'm old. But uh, speaking of old, wasn't that a great message from Pastor Corey last week? He was here for the first service. And um, yeah, if you missed it, be sure to go to our, uh, our website, check, click the media tab or go to YouTube, SBCC Live, and you'll be able to find it. Such a great, great message. Well, hey, I want to begin our time in a word of prayer today, okay? And I've got some things on my heart that I want to share with you. And of course, we're, gonna, we're in the book of Colossians, all right? So let's pray first of all. Well, Father, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to pause here. Um, we think of it at, as the end of the week, but it's actually the beginning of the week. Pause and reflect to uh, ponder your words, uh, to worship you. Lord, we truly need this time. And uh, Lord, we thank you for who you are because there, is, there isn't a God like you. You are the God of gods. You're the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And Father, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your might. We thank you that you are creator. We thank you that you miraculously, graciously love us. You've brought us into your family to, to be your children. And today we gather as your children, God declaring that uh, we, we fall at your feet as we just sang, but declaring that we need you. And so today, Father, please, will you speak to us? Will you stir in our hearts, will you have your way with us? Will you say to us whatever it is that you want to say to us that we might be the people that you want us to be? God, I pray that nobody hears from me today, but that we would hear from you. So thank you, Father. We commit this time to you. And again, we look forward to all that you have for us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, again, uh, thank you for joining us, whether you're online or whether you're outside under the tent or whether you're here indoors with us. You know, I've had a lot on my mind in the last uh, month or so since the last time I've been up here. And first and foremost, I just want you to know that uh, I've been thinking about you. I think about you. In fact, I think about you all the time. I think about you every single day. And I, I wonder how you're doing, especially, and I wonder that, especially for those of you I haven't seen in uh, over a year and a half now, I wonder and hope that you're healthy. I wonder how your marriages are faring and I hope they're doing well. I, 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 I wonder how your families are, whether they're thriving and, and I hope that they are. And more than anything else, I wonder how your relationship with the Lord is. And that's my greatest concern to you, uh, for you as, as your pastor. And I, I'm concerned for that, obviously, for, because I am a pastor, but because you know, just recently I heard some very disturbing statistics that indicated that many Christ followers have fallen away from the faith, have fallen away completely from the Lord during this pandemic. And nothing saddens me more than to hear that, that people have fallen away from the Lord. And, and it saddens all of your pastors because this is what we work so hard to do is to tell you about the Lord, to get you to walk with the Lord. 
And one of the reasons why this is so concerning for me in particular um, is because I know how easy it is to, to fall away from the faith. I know how easy it is because I've done it. I've fallen away from the faith. I remember after I became a Christian at Pepperdine, um, my friends said, you need to go to church now. Well, I didn't know why I had to go to church, but they said, no, you, you need to go to church now because that's the one place in your week. That's the one place you can go every single week where you can lay all your burdens aside and you can focus on the Lord and you can worship him and you can hear the proclamation of his word. You can be around others who will encourage you in your faith. You can spend some reflective moments before him in prayer and where you can be spiritually renewed. So you got to go to church. And uh, the problem was going to church for me was not in my wheelhouse. Uh, I was 20 years old and for the first 20 years of my life, I never went to church. It's just not something I did. I wasn't a Christian and, and I didn't go to church. And so it was tough for me when they said, oh, you got to go to church. And as you know, and, and part of the reason is, as you know, old habits are, are hard to break. You just don't break them overnight. So finally, I, I said, okay, I, I'll go to church. And so I went to the campus church there at Pepperdine, and I loved it. It was, it was great. It was everything that they said it would be. But after a while, as the semester wore on, my body began to long for the good old days when I could just sleep in and stay in bed instead of go to church. Well, one Sunday morning, that's exactly what I did. I decided to sleep in, and I didn't go to church. Well, that afternoon, when I headed over to the cafeteria for, to grab some lunch, I ran into my friends from church, and they said to me, hey, we didn't see you at church. And I felt terrible. I felt bad, and, and I didn't like that feeling. So I said to myself, self, next Sunday, you got to go to church. Well, the next Sunday came, and uh, the alarm went off. And uh, as soon as the alarm went off, I hit the, the snooze button, and I heard a little voice say to me, wouldn't you rather stay in your nice warm bed? And I replied to that voice, 100%. And so I went back to sleep and I stayed in bed and I didn't go to church. Well, that afternoon when I head over to the cafeteria for lunch, I ran to my friends and they said to me, we didn't see you at church. And I felt bad. I felt terrible. And I didn't like that feeling. And so I said to myself, for sure, I'm going to go to church next Sunday. For sure, I'm going to go. Well, the next Sunday came, and guess what I did? I didn't go to church. I slept in. And the next Sunday after that, and the next Sunday after that, and the next Sunday after that, I didn't go to church. It was probably over a month when I didn't go to church, and then I had to start avoiding my friends on campus because I didn't want them to ask me, where have you been? We haven't seen you at church because I didn't like the way that made me feel. You know what I learned from that experience? Here's what I learned from that experience. I learned that the longer you stay away from church, the longer you'll stay away. The longer you stay away, the longer you'll stay away. And, and why is that? Well, it's because old habits are hard to break. Old habits are hard to break. And if you get in the habit of not going to church, then it's going to be very hard to go back to church because old habits are hard to break. And here's why that's problematic. That's problematic because the longer you stay away, the more susceptible you will be to falling away from the Lord completely. You see, no one ever wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll fall away from God today and never walk with him. No, it doesn't happen that way. It happens very subtly. It happens very slowly. 
It happens very gradually. You stop going to church. You stop hanging out with other believers. Stop worshiping him. You stop reading your Bible. And all of a sudden, you find yourself very, very far away from God. And that's why that's so dangerous. You know, one of the reasons why Jesus gave us the church in the first place is because he knew that we needed each other. He knew that we needed each other. He knew that we needed each other to spur each other on. He, iron sharpens iron. Two are better than one. He knew that we needed each other to keep on following him. And so he gave us the church. You see, church wasn't meant to be an hour and a half of screen time every single week. That's not church. If you want to know what, the, what real church is, read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. That's church. And for those of you who are watching on screen, you know, we're so thankful you are. We're really thankful you are. And in fact, just this week, we received an email from somebody who watches just to say, hey, I want to thank you. I don't know who, who this person was, but I want to just thank you for offering your services online because I watched all the way from the Philippines, and it really does minister to me. So we're thankful for those that we have an online ministry because it really is impossible for some people to come to church. And some people live far, far away, and uh, they can't come here. So we're thankful for that. But I would just say to you, uh, don't let screen time, screen church, become a substitute for the real deal. As soon as you are able, as soon as you are able, get back to church because it's that important. Break that habit and get back to church. In case you're wondering, if you come to church, we're still, every one of us, we still wear a mask. And the reason we wear a mask is not for ourselves. We, we wear it because there are other people who aren't, who aren't here yet, and they don't wanna, they're still reticent to come because they're, they want to know if it's safe or not. And so we wear a mask. We ask you to wear a mask for them, that we would show that they would feel like when they come here, it's safe. And that's why we still have a cap on our capacity. We still limit the number of people that come into the worship center because we want people to know that it's safe. And um, a couple of other FYIs, right? If you're, you're, still, you're still reticent about being around large crowds, the, the lightest crowd at our three weekend services would be Saturday night, right? So if you don't want to be around a lot of people, come to the Saturday night service. We, it's a much lighter crowd. Uh, both indoors and outdoors, and I probably don't get the crowd there on Saturday night because we're still not able, able to offer kids crew at that services because we don't have the manpower, the help, the volunteers to do that. So if you can help us with that, that would be great. Uh, and then if you're returning, if, if you come on Saturday night, if you come on a Saturday night, if you're not comfortable joining us inside, you can join us under the tent. And there's, it's very breezy out there, and this is what it looks like out in the tent. And uh, it's very, very safe, we think, out there. And uh, if it gets cold, we're going to start putting out the heaters. They, they, might, they might be out there this morning. And then if you're still cold, we'll give you a blanket. It's a free blanket. It's all wrapped up in a plastic uh, can, you know, bag, and you can have it, and you can take it home and bring it back the next week when you come so that you won't get cold. So, I, church, I hope you hear my heart on this. This is, this is my heart more than anything else. Uh, I care about your soul. And that's true for all of our pastors. We care about your relationship with God more than anything else. We long to see you flourish and thrive in your relationship with God. And, and at the end of the day, you can't do that in front of a screen. And that's why we ask you to come to church. Well, today we're continuing our series, Jesus is Greater. And we're going through the book of Colossians. So grab your Bible, turn to the book of Colossians. You can also follow us, uh, follow this message on our South Bay Community Church app if you don't have it. 
you can get it at Google Play or Apple Store. Just, you can download it from there. Just look for S South Bay Community Church and, and you'll find it. And uh, you can follow along there. But this has been such a great series on the supremacy of Christ. And I'm just so thankful for the outstanding pastors and teachers that we have here who've been, who've been teaching throughout this summer for, for Pastor Dan, for Pastor James, for Pastor Greg, of course, and then last week, Pastor Corey, but, and, and, and Todd Hoshiko. Uh, it's been such a great, great job of teaching. And uh, I don't know if you noticed this as we have made our way through this book, but interspersed throughout the book of Colossians are these marvelous nuggets about what Christ has done for us. Colossians is about the supremacy of Christ, but interspersed throughout this letter are these nuggets about what Christ has done for us. Let me show you, if you I'm going to read a few of them to you, or, or just bring them to your attention. I'm not going to put, put them up on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. I'm just going to go through them very quickly, but it kind of starts in Colossians 1.13. When Paul wrote this, he said, he has delivered us, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is an incredible statement of what, what God has done for us. Jesus literally plucked us up out of the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I think this is my favorite verse in the entire letter. And then if you go to the very next verse, in verse 14, Paul wrote that Christ redeemed us and that he forgave us. And you jump down to verse 22, it's, it says that Christ reconciled us. And verse 27 says, he made us aware of the riches of his glory. Made us aware of his glory, of his rich glory. And you jump over to chapter 2, verse 10, it says he filled us with him. We are filled with him. And then verse 13 in chapter 2 says, even when we are dead in our sins, he made us alive. He made you spiritually alive. And then in verse 14, it says he canceled the record of debt that stood against us. You know, we have this debt because of our sin. And Christ canceled it. It's gone. And then chapter 3, verse 1 says he raised us up with Christ. And then verse 12 says he chose us and made us holy and his beloved. And then again in verse 13, it it says that the Lord forgave us. So here we are, in addition to everything else that the book of Colossians speaks about, it has these stunning descriptions of what Christ did for you and for me. Well, today we come to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, and we are nearing the finish line. Next week, Pastor Greg will wrap all this up. But if I could sum these five verses up, verses 2 through 6, if I can sum it up in one or two words, it would be the word represent or represent Jesus. That's what this is about. Represent Jesus. You see, after writing about the supremacy of Christ and all that Christ did for us in Colossians 1, 2, and 3, we come to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Paul exhorts them now to represent him. You know all these things about Christ. You know what he did for you. Now represent him in chapter 4. Represent Christ. And then he... Uh, gives us some very practical tips on how to do that. And this is such an important message. It's such an important message because we don't, let's face it, we don't always represent Christ well, right? We, we don't do it well. I know I don't always do it well. And sometimes we don't know how to represent him. Recently, I came across a video that was put together by a Catholic organization on the do's and don'ts of sharing your faith. Now, even though we're not Catholic, 
I thought I, I wanted to show you one of the characters because I thought one of the characters in this clip, Abrasive Abner, just humorously depicts how it is that we also shouldn't represent our faith. So take a look at this. It's only about a minute long. Take a look at this. It's right, right on this screen. A little, little holy water. The food looked unblessed. I'm sorry. I just need to squirt that. Are you going to watch the game on Sunday? No. I have mass. So I'm not going to miss mass for a game. I'm Catholic. This is, this is way more important. I'm just a little worried because um, my mom is getting tested for cancer tomorrow. Oh, that's no good. Has she been to confession recently? Um, we're not Catholic. You want to get on that. If something happens to her, you don't want her to die in a state of serious sin. Hey, do you mind if we listen to some music? What did you have in mind? I'm just gonna turn on the radio. No, let's not ingest worldly poisons. How about we sing? I've been learning some Gregorian chant. Gregory who? <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Probably all of you have encountered an abrasive Abner sometime in your life. Or maybe you are an abrasive Abner. You, maybe you are. Maybe that's who you are. Sadly, abrasive Abners don't represent Christ well. They can come off as being annoying and obnoxious. They can come across as insensitive and uncaring. They can come across as self-righteous and judgmental. And rather than drawing people to Christ, they push people away from Christ. That's what they do. So it begs the question, how do we represent Christ? How do we do it? Well, that's the question that Paul answers in this passage. So let me read the first three verses for you. And I'm going to read in the NIV translation. But Colossians chapter 4, just starting in verse 2. Paul wrote, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Okay, you can stop right there. So the very first thing, the first thing when you read this, the first thing that jumps out at us is that this passage is all about the, the first key to representing Christ in this passage is about prayer. It's all about prayer. The first key to representing Christ is prayer. Representing him begins with prayer. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are only two categories of people in the world today. Did you know that? There are two, only two categories of people in the world, and I'm not talking about Jews and Gentiles or Republicans and Democrats or the vaccinated or the unvaccinated. I'm talking about those who know God and those who don't know him. I'm talking about those who follow Christ and those who don't follow Christ. There are only two categories. You're either a child of God or you, you aren't. You either live in spiritual light or you live in spiritual darkness. You're either spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead. You either believe in Jesus or you don't. There are only two camps. There are only one of two camps. Now, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul gives us a shocking explanation for why it is that so many people find themselves in the camp of people that don't believe in Jesus. He gives us a shocking explanation for why that is. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. 
Paul wrote, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? He said that it is the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Right? Who, who is the God of this world? Well, the God of this world would be the devil. He is the God of this world. And Paul said that those who don't believe in Jesus don't believe in Jesus because their minds have been blinded to the truth by Satan. Satan has blinded them in such a way that they can't see and understand the gospel. And that's what the prince of darkness does because he doesn't want anyone to know Jesus. And it, do you realize how easy it is to go to heaven? Do you realize how easy it is to go to heaven? It's so easy to go to heaven. It's easy to go to heaven because God did all the work. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He came to planet earth, born of a virgin. And then he was, when he reached the age of 33, he was beaten and scourged. He was uh, crucified on a cross, nails driven into his hands and feet crucified on a cross. And there he suffered and died for our sins. And then after he died, three days later, God raised him from the dead. It's so easy to believe in Jesus and go to heaven. Paul said this in Romans 10, 9. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Think about that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God and he did what he said he did, that he died on a cross and was raised from the, if you believe that, then you will be saved, meaning you will go to heaven. You will receive the gift of eternal life. You will go to heaven when you die. See, God made it so easy to go to heaven. He made it very simple, ridiculously easy to go to heaven. John 3.16 says the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, what? Believes. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God made it so easy to go to heaven. All you need to do is believe. Yet, as easy as it is for people to go to heaven, billions of people, billions upon billions upon billions of people won't go to heaven because they refuse to believe. And in fact, there are, you will find more people in the I don't believe in Jesus camp, you'll find more people there in that camp than you will in the camp of people who do believe in Jesus. Right? And I don't get it. I don't get it. Frankly, I don't understand how anyone cannot receive the love of God. I, I don't know how anyone can turn their backs on the love of God. And see, the reason why representing Christ, here's what, I, here's what I'm getting at. The reason why representing Christ begins with prayer is because prayer is the only way. It is the only way that we can break the stranglehold, the chokehold that Satan has on unbelievers, on the minds of unbelievers. It's the only way we can do it. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Paul wrote, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Notice the word weapons there is plural, right? There are multiple weapons. There are a number of different weapons, right? And one of the weapons is prayer. And prayer, if you read this verse, prayer can destroy the strongholds of Satan. It can destroy them. Prayer can loosen the devil's grip on the minds of unbelievers so that they can believe. And so that's why representing Jesus begins with prayer. Now, speaking of our adversary, the devil... Starting the first weekend in October, October 2nd and 3rd, we're going to begin a brand new series here called God versus Satan. 
We're going to begin a series on God versus Satan. And, and in this series, we're going to examine the titanic struggle that has been going on since literally the beginning of time between God and the devil. And it's going to be a, a riveting series, I believe, because it, we're going to take a look at how that battle started and what it's all about. We're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about angels and demons. We're going to examine the fight closely and see what it's all about and see what it's at, what's at stake in the state of warfare, spiritual warfare even today. And we're going to get into details on how we engage in that fight. And we're going to even look at how the battle ends. We're going to look at how it's going to end with Satan and the Antichrist and a whole lot more, right? So I think that after we're done, uh, you're going to have a better sense of what is going on in the world today and, uh, and who's behind it. So I urge you not to miss it. That's going to start in two weeks, weekend of October 2nd and 3rd, God versus Satan. Now going back to the passage, Paul tells us that the first key to representing uh, Jesus is prayer and then he instructs us in this verse how to pray. So take a look at Colossians 4 verse 2 again, how to pray. G Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. All right, so we can stop right there. So in this verse, Paul tells us about the three ways that we need to pray. He said, pray Devote yourselves to prayer, be devoted to prayer, or pray persistently, pray watchfully, and pray thankfully. Now this first point, first point about how we should pray, reminds me of the story of the old donkey that fell into a well. Ever hear the story about the donkey that fell into a well? The poor animal, the poor donkey fell into a well and cried for hours and hours as the desperate farmer scurried about trying to figure out what to do. Well finally the farmer decided that since the donkey was old anyway, and it would cost too much money to bring the equipment in to get him out. And since the well wasn't in use and it wasn't any good anyways, they'll just cover the whole thing up with dirt. Cover the whole thing up with dirt. And so he asked his neighbors to come and help him cover up the well with dirt with the donkey in it. So the next day they all gathered together, his friends gathered together, and they began shoveling dirt into the well. And when the poor donkey realized what was going on, he let out a terrible cry, probably something like, hee-haw! And then, to everyone's amazement, the donkey quieted down because he struck up a great idea, came up with a brilliant idea. You see, every time a shovel of dirt landed on the donkey's back, he would just shake it off and then step on top of the dirt. And when another shovel full of dirt landed on his back, he would shake it off and land up on, step up on top of the dirt. And he kept doing this, and the, the mound of dirt kept growing and growing and growing until finally the donkey was able to step out of the well. And then off he went, and he lived happily ever after. Isn't that a great story? I love that story because it illustrates the first way we need to approach prayer, and that is by never giving up. You never give up. Have you ever prayed for someone or something and you prayed over and over and over again and you just prayed over and over and over again and it just doesn't seem like God is answered, answering that prayer? And then, and then you, be, you begin to get discouraged and, and then doubt begins to creep in. You know, the biggest, one of the biggest impediments to prayer is doubt. It's doubt. When our prayers don't get answered, we begin to doubt God. We doubt that he's there. We doubt that he loves us. We doubt that he has the power. We doubt that he cares about it. We doubt that he even hears us. See, doubt is like dirt. It hits our backs and it just discourages us and weighs us down. And then we'll get to the point where we'll stop praying altogether. You know what we need to do when the 
prayers of, you know, when, when the doubt kind of hits our back like dirt, we just need to shake it off. You just need to shake it off and then you just got to keep going and you just keep praying. You don't stop. You see, Paul said in Colossians 4, 2, he said, devote yourselves to prayer. Notice that? Devote yourselves to prayer. The Greek word for devote is a long word. I don't even think I can pronounce it. And I won't bother telling what it is, but let me tell you what it means, all right? The Greek word for devote means, has two meanings. The first meaning is this. It means to continue to do something with intensity. Continue to do something with intensity. In other words, pray with intensity. Pray with intensity. Second, the Greek word for devote means to show strength which prevails in spite of difficulties. Be strong in spite of difficulties. In other words, shake it off. Don't let it get you down. And thus, when Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer, what he was saying was, pray with intensity, don't give up, and when doubts creep in, shake it off and keep going. That's what he meant when he said, devote yourselves to prayer. It reminds me of the story of George Mueller, who prayed for five, his five unbelieving friends. Mueller was uh, director of an orphanage in uh, the UK, which cared for, he cared for more than 10,000 orphans in his lifetime, pastored a church pastored his church for more than 60 years. I'm going to hit 30 next year. I can't imagine going another 30, right? And uh, if you ever want, by the way, if you ever want to be inspired and pumped up, read an autobiography of George Mueller, right? George Mueller, M-U-L-L-E-R. If you don't want to get pumped up, then don't read it. But if you want to get pumped up and inspired, read his autobiography. It will pump you up. It will fire you up, I promise you. Well, here's what Mueller wrote about praying for his five unbelieving friends. He said this, In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. And I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever pressure my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. And I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted, and I thanked God for the second and prayed for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed. Six years passed before the third was finally converted, and I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Well, stop right there. So now, fast forward 36 years. All right, 36 years, Mueller has been praying for these final two for 36 years and, and they, still, they still have not come to know Christ. And then here's what Mueller wrote 36 years after he's been praying for them. But I hope in God, I pray on and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. And sure enough, 54 years later, 54 years after he started praying for them, those two men finally came to know Christ about six months after Mueller had died. After he died. You see, God will answer your prayers. He can answer your prayers even after you're gone. You may never see the answers to your prayers. You might go to heaven and be with Jesus and then the answers will come. You'll find out about the answers when that person shows up. And you're going to say, what are you doing here? Well, I'm here because God answered your prayers. You see, so you never give up. When it comes to prayer, never lose heart. We must have the resilience of a donkey when it comes to prayer. Now, Paul also said in Colossians 4.2, pray watchfully and thankfully. The word watchful means to be alert. So we need to pray with alertness. 
as opposed to praying feebly, which means you should pray when you're at your best. Never pray when you're at your worst. Like when you're ready to go to sleep, you lay in bed and you're ready to go to sleep and you go, oh, I forgot to say my prayers. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you, thank you, for, thank you for my mom. You know, no, no, that's, don't pray at your worst. You pray at your best. That might be in the morning for you. That might be at noon for you. That might be at night for you. And of course, we should pray without stopping, so you should pray all the time. But when you really want to spend some time with the Lord, you pray when you're at your best. You've you got to be, pray watchfully, be on the alert. And second thing, we, we need to pray thankfully, Paul said. Pray thankfully. Whenever you pray, thank God for who he is. God, thank you. You're, you're an amazing God. God, there is no one like you. I thank you for you. God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you, God, that you hear these prayers. God, thank you. I thank you for my dad. I know you love him so much, and you desire him to be saved. Thank you for his life. God, thank you that the gospel exists. Thank you. Help me to communicate that with him. Always pray thankfully, he said. So we pray watchfully and thankfully, devotedly, watchfully and thankfully. So let me ask you something. Who have you been praying for? Who have you been praying for lately? Is it your spouse? Is it your wayward child? Is it your mom or your dad? Is it your brother, your sister, or friend? If God hasn't answered your prayers yet, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on praying with intensity, with alertness, and thanksgiving. Don't give up because prayer tears down the strongholds that keep them from believing. And they will come to believe if you keep praying. Second thing that Paul wrote about this uh, about in this passage is what to pray for. So first he said, you got to pray, and here's how you pray. Second, here's what to pray for. Take a look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. It says, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Hold on to that one. The mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul asked the Colossians to pray for two things. Right? First, he asked them to pray that he would have an opportunity for an open door, an opportunity to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Second, he asked them to pray that when he proclaims the message, that he would be able to do so clearly. Now, you're probably wondering, what is the mystery of Christ? All right? So take a look at that. What is the mystery of Christ? According to the dictionary, a mystery is something that is not understood. You know, what's a mystery? Well, I don't know what that is. What is that? You know, that's a mystery, Right? Um, let me give you an example, all right? So we've got these guys going to have Philip and, and Jonah help me out here. So I've got, I've got two sheets of paper like this, just regular sheets of paper. got a goblet right here, okay? And I've got a dime, all right? Hopefully have a dime. Now, unfortunately, our second screen here is still not, is in the shop. We're getting it fixed. Hopefully it'll be fixed soon. But let me roll up my sleeve so that you don't think I'm doing anything weird or funny, Okay. But I want to show you something that I do with the dime, all right? So here we are, Philip. There's the dime, all right? Here's the goblet, okay? Watch carefully. Here it is. Okay? Now, where'd it go? Well, it's a mystery. I'm not going to tell you it's a mystery, all right? So let me put it back.
There it is. Right? Where did, thanks guys. Where did it go? And where did it come from? Well, it's a mystery. I can't tell you. Right? Well, in the same way, Christ is referred to in the scriptures as a mystery. Now, he's not a mystery to us. Right? He's not a mystery to us. Thank goodness he's not a mystery to us because the Holy Spirit revealed him to us so that we know who he is. But for someone who doesn't know him, he's a complete mystery. Right? And, and, and that's why the goal of evangelism, that's the word we use for proclaiming the gospel. The goal of evangelism or proclaiming the gospel is to make the mystery of Christ known to others. That's what the goal of evangelism is. That's, that's what sharing our faith is all about. We want to make the mystery of Christ known to others. And so Paul asked the Colossians, please pray that God would give me opportunities, the doors would open, that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And when I, when I proclaim that mystery, pray that I can do it clearly so that they'll understand. That's what he was praying for. And um, when he asked them to do that, he, he wants them to understand the mystery. And so I guess the question that I'd ask you is, you know, who are you praying for that they would know the mystery? And this is something we need to pray for all the time, right? We need to pray for opportunities that Christ, people would know the mystery of Christ. We need to pray for open doors, and we need to pray for clarity. Now, speaking of open doors, a door just opened up to our church recently, and we mentioned it last week, um, but we didn't have, it wasn't clear yet. We didn't have all the details, but now we have the details, so let me tell you what this door is all about right? By now, you're aware of all the things that are going on in Afghanistan. Well, in the last two weeks, 31,000 Afghans have arrived in the United States to be resettled somewhere in our country. And uh, they've all, they're here because they fled the Taliban and they fled for their lives. Uh, here's a family that arrived at Dulles International Airport uh, in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago. And this family arrived at LAX uh, last week. Uh, they're among the 12 Afghan families that arrived in Los Angeles last week with nothing more than a suitcase and the clothes on their back. And currently they are staying, 12 families, 12 Afghan families uh, are staying in motels and hotels around the LAX area. Now we got this information from a Christian organization called World Relief, which is a, a, a fantastic, we've checked them out, fantastic organization. And World Relief is helping Afghan families resettle here in the United States. When we heard about their predicament, and you've probably seen news clips about this, when we heard about their predicament, our hearts just went out to them. I mean, I, we can't imagine, right, having to flee for your lives from the Taliban, to flee for your lives, and then most of them are just grief-stricken because they left family members behind, uh, and there's, a, there's always a possibility that they may be killed, but they're here, they find themselves in a foreign country, they don't speak the language, they have no family and friends, um, they don't have any jobs, they don't have any place to live, they don't have a car, they don't have a license, they don't have a, a bank debit card, they probably wouldn't even know how to use one. And we heard about their plight and about helping, thought about resettling, you know, helping them to resettle. We thought, what a wonderful opportunity that would be for our church to share the love of Christ with them. So this week, with the blessing and support of our elders, we decided to partner with World Relief to help resettle three Afghan families, hopefully somewhere here in the South Bay. We're also looking at the possibility of helping to resettle a family in the San Gabriel Valley area and possibly even one in Orange County because we have so many people coming from those areas to our church. 
But here's what World Relief told us each family needs. First, they need a place to live because right now they're staying. They were given $1,000, I understand, and they're staying in motels and hotels around LAX. But they need a place to live. That's a rented, a rented home or a rented apartment. And uh, at the very least, we need to come up with first and last month's rent. Now, they're being given some government assistance, so they'll, they should be able to uh, pay for their rent afterwards. But they also need jobs. They also need jobs. They need transportation. One of our elders has already donated a car to one of the families. They need to furnish. We need to help furnish their home. They need beds and a sofa and a kitchen table and beddings and lights and lamps and appliances and all those kind of things and simple household items like dishes and towels. I mean, the list of, of their needs is endless. And you can imagine furnishing an apartment. And we're thinking that if we can come around these families, if 100 people from our church can come around each family, one family here, another family here, another family here, we can share the burden of caring for them. It doesn't have to fall on just a few people. If we can all come around and help them together, we can do this together. And so we're looking for at least 300 volunteers, and we hope we can get four and 500 volunteers because we have more people than that in our church. We can get all these people to come around. We can do one in San Gabriel Valley and even Orange County, hopefully. We're looking to do this, and, we're, and, and we're, we're also looking for people who might speak the language. And last night, after our first service, we found out some people in our church actually speak the language. I believe it's called uh, Dar, Dar, Dari and uh, Farsi and possibly Pashto. Can you believe that? We have people in our church who speak those languages. We're looking for more people who might speak those languages. We're looking for people in our church who will be willing to step up and, and lead components of this ministry because we're going to have, there's a lot of things that, that need to be done here. And we're still trying to figure this out as, as World Relief is. We're trying to work all these things out. So it's a brand new ministry for our church. It's, we're going to call it ARM, A-R-M. stands for Afghan Rele Resettlement Ministry, Afghan Resettlement Ministry. So we're really excited about the opportunity that God has given to us to share the love of Christ with these refugees. Probably most of them, if not all of them, are Muslim. There might be some Christians in there. That'd be cool. But if you'd like more information about ARM, right, please go to our website, southbaycommunitychurch.com. Some people went during the service and signed up right away, but go there and sign up. And uh, you can go to a tab just like this on our website. Click on that. Give you more information. You can sign up as well. And uh, if you sign up, we'll send you a link to a Zoom meeting that we're going to be holding this Thursday Pastor Dan is going to be leading this. He's going to be the point on, on this ministry. But we're going to have a Zoom meeting on Thursday, this Thursday at 7 p.m. So it doesn't matter where you live. You can join us on Zoom. And we'll tell you more about it. We'll give you more information. And hopefully in the next couple days, we're supposed to find out who our three families are going to be. And when we find out who they are, and if we can find out, by, if we know by Thursday, we'll, we'll tell you all about them. We'll tell you a little bit about them, and then we're gonna then we're gonna meet them. We're gonna figure out how to do all that. All right. So let us know. And then finally, one other date to remember, and we'll remind you this. But on Wednesday, September 29th, Wednesday, September 29th, here at 7 p.m. here at the church, we're gonna be meeting with representatives of World Relief. They're gonna come here to church, and they're going to train us on how to interact with Afghan people, right? He's gonna, they're going to train us on how to do that. It's going to be an important meeting because how we interact with people, right, can either push them away or can draw them uh, to us and to Christ. And that's exactly Paul's point as he closed out this passage. Take a look at verse 5. Colossians 4, verse 5, Paul wrote, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, 
make the most of every opportunity. Right? The outsiders would be anyone outside of the family of Christ, but Paul said, be wise in the way you act toward them. So that's why we want to get together and learn how we need to act toward Afghan because they're, they've come from a totally different culture, totally different nation. And uh, we want to know that. But this is so good. You see, the second key from this passage we learned, the second key to representing Christ has to do with how we act, how we live, how we interact, how we behave. See, Paul, and Paul said we need to be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders. And uh, we are to act wisely. In other words, we are to live in, in such a way that is consistent with who we are. We need to live in a way that is consistent with who we are. That's what it means to be wise. You know, many years ago, I was driving down the 405 going that way toward West L.A., so let's say West LA is that way. So I'm driving down the 405, and, and when I was approaching Westwood, I didn't want to go to Santa Monica. I needed to go to LA. And so, you know, there's a 10 freeway there, the Santa Monica freeway there. And so as I was approaching the interchange, I knew I needed to get over two lanes. I needed to get over one lane, then I needed to go over two lanes because this lane would take the interchange to Los Angeles. If I I'm over here. If I moved over only one lane, this lane would take me to Santa Monica. I didn't want to go to Santa Monica. And I didn't want to stay on this lane because this would have taken me up to Sepulveda Pass. So as I approached the interchange to the, of the Santa Monica Freeway, as I got closer, I realized I needed to move over two lanes. So I put on my right turn blinker and uh, I started to look to see if there was any room to come in. Well, there was a guy next to me and uh, he decided to play a little cat and mouse game with me. And so as I was going, he, he started to back up. I put my blinker on. He started to back up. And I thought, oh, this is nice. So, so then I started to move over. And as soon as I started to move over, he sped up. And so I had to pull the car back into my lane. And I said, what in the world is going on? And so we kept going. And, and then he started backing up again. And when he backed up, I thought, okay, this is crazy. So I'm going to move over. And so I started to move over. And he sped up again so that I couldn't move in. And he kept doing this back and forth. And finally, I'm coming to the interchange. And if I miss the interchange, then I'm going to keep going straight. So I finally just jammed on my brakes and let him completely go by me. And then I pulled up right behind him. And I was so mad. I, was, I wanted to honk my horn and all these kinds of things. And I didn't. And I just kept going. And I thought, man, why did he do that? Why did he? He would back up and he, he was just teasing me, right? And so finally, I, the, the lane to my right was not that bad, so I was able to move in pretty safely, and I moved into that lane so I can go to L.A., and he's still in this lane headed to Santa Monica. But wouldn't you know it, he had to go to L.A. too. So he put on his right turn blinker so he can cut into my lane. And you know what I did? I decided to play a game of mountain cat, and, cat and mouse with him. So, when, so I backed up a little bit, and then... Just when I backed up, he started to cut in, and I sped up, and he had to pull back, and then I backed up, and then he, he, he tried to come in, and I sped up, and we did this for a couple times, and finally we got to that fork, right, and he couldn't cut into the lane to go to L.A., and I just waved goodbye. I said, goodbye, with a big smile on my face, and he was mad, and you could see it. He was doing all these bad gestures, and he was yelling and screaming, and I just, goodbye, goodbye, see you later, and I, and I felt so good. It was so good. It was great. Until about a mile down the Santa Monica Freeway and the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, I got to tell you this, just in case you're wondering, I wasn't a pastor yet, okay? So, 
If I was, I probably should just resign. But um, I wasn't a pastor yet, but oh, the Holy Spirit just convicted me. He just got a hold of me. And he said to me, you know, something like, Gary, shame on you. That's not how you represent me. I mean, can you imagine if I had an opportunity to sit down with this guy and say, hey, man, can I, can I tell you the good news of Jesus? You think he'd listen to me? No way, right? Because he didn't see Jesus in me. But the Holy Spirit just convicted me to no end, and I just had to confess my sins and say, God, God I am so sorry for the, way that, for the way that I failed to represent you in the way that you deserve to be represented. You know, act, acting wisely toward others means we live in a way that is consistent with who we are. And who are we? We're Christ followers. We're children of God. And so we need to live like it. I mean, do your actions, think about that. Do your actions at home speak well of Christ? Do your actions at work, do your actions at school, do your actions on the road speak well of Christ? Or would people be shocked to learn that you're a Christian? Finally, the third key to representing Christ has to do with how we speak. This has to do with how we speak. Here's what Paul said about that in Colossians 4, verse 6. He said, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, honestly, I can't think of more timely words for our day than these words right here. Can't think of more timely words than this. Let your conversation be always... That's, that word jumps, jumps out. Always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. These words are timely because it seems to me that our nation has descended into utter gracelessness. We, we, are, we, are, we are so ugly. Our nation has become so ugly, in my opinion. Today, people don't just disagree with you. They hate you. you people can't agree to disagree anymore. If someone disagrees with you, they hate you, and they'll even cancel you. And I see this on both sides of every issue. People have become so hateful. Just this week, I spoke with an administrator of a local school here, and she told me that two parents came in and just literally ranted and raved and ripped her apart and used the F-bomb and all that because he didn't like, they didn't like the fact that their kids have to wear a mask at school, right? And, and she said, it was so bad. Now, I can understand how the world can't help itself to being graceless. I get that. But I'm telling you, as Christ followers, that must never be part of the way that we behave. Never be part of that at all. Our conversations must always be seasoned with grace. Our Facebook and Instagram posts must always be seasoned with grace, which means don't be drawn into these contentious arguments with people, even other believers, about politics or race or religion or masks or vaccines or anything else. And if you find yourself in a conversation like that with someone, let your words always be seasoned with what? With grace, right? When you encounter an unruly person on the street, at a baseball game, at the market, at school, 
let your speech always be seasoned with grace. And if it is, if we are wise in the way that we act toward others, if we pray like crazy with intensity, never giving up with the tenacity of a donkey, and ask God to destroy the strongholds, then we'll be able to see people move from the unbelieving camp to the believing camp. We'll be able to see that. And isn't that what it's all about? That's what it's all about. That would be so great. So, so church, let's do it. Represent Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these marvelous words. And what a great way to really begin to wrap up this fantastic letter. After everything Paul said about who you are, Christ, and what you've done for us, he tells us this is what we do about it. We represent. And Lord, please forgive me and probably a whole bunch of us for the ways that we have failed to do that. We have failed in so many ways to be a good, clear reflection of who you are. Father, will you work in us? Will you work in me? That no matter where you've put us, no matter where we're at, whether at home or driving a car, whether at the market, whether we're in class, whether we're online in a Zoom meeting, whether we're hanging out with friends, God, let us be people who represent you well. And Father, help us to be a prayerful people because Unbelievers aren't going to believe unless these strongholds are torn down. And the scriptures are clear. The only way it can be torn down is if your people pray. Father, right now we pray for these three Afghan families. In fact, God, we pray for these 12 Afghan families that have come into L.A. And I know there are many more coming. God, will you begin to work in their hearts and minds Will you, will you stir in them? Will you begin to break down the walls and the barriers? If they don't know you, will you work in their hearts that they would come to know you? Will you convict them of sin? Will you show them who you are? That Jesus, you are the Son of God and you gave everything that they could have life. And God, will you help us to be an accurate reflection of who you are. God, help us to be clear. Help us to be loving. Help us to be gracious. And not just with them, but with everyone we encounter. And Father, when we do, more and more people will fill that camp of children of God. And that's what it's all about. So thank you, Father. We love you. Thank you for this stirring um, passage from Paul. We bless you, Lord, and thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.